Now we got to get this thing right. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love. Is love correcting everything that stands against love? It was some 28 years ago that I stood at a place like this. Uh, it was my wedding day, and uh, a man I barely knew walked this beautiful young lady down the aisle. And when he gets to the end of the aisle with her on his arms, uh, the preacher asks, Who gives this? woman to be married to this man and he says I do and I go and get my new bride and bring her up to where the preacher was and and then we're uh, standing there and the preacher starts to talk and he gets to this part of the wedding where he starts to say do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife and I'm like yes 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 and, and do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse and I'm going yes 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 sickness and health and then he gets to this line where he says forsaking all others and how do you think Lynette would feel if when the preacher got to that moment where he says, do you forsake all others from this day forward? I would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do you think she'd feel if I said, do you mean like all 365 days in a year? Because I'm thinking 364 days I could be faithful, 364 days I can be totally devoted to you, but on that, that one odd day, I would really like a little freedom. How do you think she would feel? How do you think any woman would feel in that moment? They would feel a massive, emotive pain inside of them. They would have this massive letdown. They would they would feel uh, somehow abandoned. They would feel somehow that I wasn't who they said they that I was, right? Because, because she would have the right to be jealous. She would have the right to, to want to protect our, our marriage. Um, this idea of jealousy is really interesting. It's this idea of having an earnest desire for something. So jealousy can be this good thing or it can be this dark thing. It can be this thing that protects something good in your life, or it can literally destroy you. And so we, we've been talking about this idea of a love campaign and, and the kind of love that God wants for us and from us. Uh, we've been getting around this passage of scripture found in 1 Corinthians where, where Paul, the, the teacher, he, he's teaching us about the, the kind of love that God wants us to have. He, he says that love is certain things and love is not other things. And he, then he says love does some things and love does not do other things and we began by talking about this idea that without love we are nothing and then we said and what does love look like well love is patient love is kind and, and we and we started to bat that around what does that look like in and in for our lives and and we, we talked about this idea that we're loving in a patient sort of way we're loving in a kind sort of a way because that's the way God loves us that's the way Jesus is toward you and me but now he turns the corner so Paul begins to teach this idea of what love is not. And he says, love is not jealous. And Paul begins to turn to this dark side of jealousy. He, 
he begins to tell us that jealousy is the opposite expression of love. Now, I get it. Some of you who might know the Bible a little bit, you, you could say, well, God is jealous and we're supposed to be like God. But the kind of jealousy that God has throughout the Bible is different. You are absolutely right. God is a jealous God. It says over and over when he looks at you and me, he's jealous for his people. He's possessive of his people. And here it is. God is jealous of what he has or for what he has. We are jealous for what we don't have. It's a totally different thing. It's like when, when a, a wife looks at her husband, she has every right to be jealous over him, to, to possess him, to, to make sure she's protective. Like a husband would do the same thing for his bride. He has every right to be jealous of anybody else coming into his territory, to protect his territory, because he earnestly desires her. He wants her for himself, right? And that's what God does for us. But Paul begins to talk about a different kind of jealousy. He talks about this kind of jealousy that that eats us alive. I, like if you were to go through the Old Testament part of the Bible, it's amazing. Like there's this man named Esau. He was a descendant of David, a king over Israel. And it says that, that the people uh, didn't receive his leadership well, right? He uh, and he became jealous of the people's affection toward him. In other words, he wanted something that wasn't his, that didn't belong to him. Uh, you look at Saul, he, he was jealous of, of David, right? Uh, you look at David, he said one time, this is bizarre, he says, I'm jealous of the wicked because it seems like they get everything that they want in life. He says, I'm jealous of the wicked. Uh, Cain was jealous of Abel and he ends up killing Abel. He, it became a, this idea of jealousy becomes a cancer in our soul. It becomes a bitterness that is so deep in us that it takes over and, and it drives us in a direction that we never wanted to go. And this is true of all of us. Uh, if, even in, in the New Testament part of the Bible, it's interesting. Uh, it says that the scribes and Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. Jesus would teach and all these people would receive his teaching and they would come to him for leadership and for direction. And, and they saw this and they were jealous. They said, that's mine. That's what we want. And they were jealous for what they did not have. And what did it end up doing? They ended up crucifying Jesus. Even after the disciples got together, even after they became this team and they fell in love with God, right? And, and their whole lives were being changed. Uh, we, we learned that that Peter was jealous of John's relationship with Jesus. And, and it does something inside of us. Do you guys remember that movie, Lord of the Rings? Uh, what a great movie. Uh, Lord of the Rings had this character named Gollum. And at one point, uh, Gollum gets to possess the ring. He holds the ring just for a moment, right? And uh, and he feels the power of the ring. He feels the authority of the ring. At one point, Gollum loses the ring and it goes back to Frodo. He's the rightful owner. But the rest of the movie, Gollum becomes like this insane maniac who wants this ring back. He, he wants something that doesn't belong to him and he becomes filled with, uh, with, with envy. He becomes filled with jealousy. And it literally becomes like a cancer in his soul. And, and he becomes like this, this possessed demon that, that just wants and wants and wants something that is not his, that does not belong to him, that belongs to another. You see, here it is. Love is incompatible with jealousy. Love is incompatible with envy. 
because because love by its very nature wants the best for somebody else. Uh, love by its nature celebrates what somebody else has. Love by its nature wishes the well-being, the goodness, the prosperity for somebody else. And jealousy is just the opposite. Jealousy wants that. Jealousy wants to take that. Jealousy begins to say, well, why does, why does he have that and not me? Why does she possess that and not me? Why does he get all the breaks? Why does she get all the luck and not me? Jealousy becomes a bitter cancer to us, just like Gollum. It begins to eat us alive. It begins to change us. It begins to move us in a direction that God doesn't want us to go. I want you to think about this. Jealousy is simply incompatible with love because jealousy wants to get ahead at the expense of somebody else. Jealousy wants to prosper at the cost of somebody else. And that's the exact opposite of Jesus. You see, the reason we're not jealous in this way is because Jesus is not jealous in this way. Jesus gave of himself. The very essence of the gospel, the very essence of the Christian faith revolves around this this idea that that God so loved the world that he gave that he that it it cost him everything to love us the whole idea of the gospel was was Jesus sacrificing for us Jesus giving for us and that's the model for you and me if if you're a believer and I don't know that you are if you're a follower of Jesus and I don't know that you are then it says but if you are it says that we love like Jesus loved. We love sacrificially. We don't want to get ahead at the expense of somebody else. We want to celebrate others. We want to celebrate even the success of what other people have, uh, the goodness of what other people have, uh, even the wealth of what somebody else has. I think about this, that, that when Jesus called you and me to follow him, I think we get this wrong sometimes in our culture. In, in the American church, we get this wrong. When Jesus called us to follow him, he did not call us to prosperity. He, he called us to sacrifice. He didn't call us to uh, this life of lavish wealth and goodness. He called us to suffering. As a matter of fact, in the book of Colossians, it says that we will most identify with Christ, not in the good times of our life, but in the suffering and through the suffering of our life. What a fundamental shift in our thinking that needs to happen here. Love is not jealous, but the Corinthian people, they had a problem with jealousy. If you were to go back and read this section of scripture, it's amazing. They were jealous of one another's spiritual gifts. Can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine being so I don't know, unlike Jesus, that you would come up after church and be really jealous of maybe my ability to teach or Chad's ability to play the guitar or a, a Metro Kids leader ability to teach kids or, or somebody's ability to be hospitable. Or could you just imagine a church that was, you know, that was jealous of one another's spirituality? What's wrong with people? But the truth is, that's you and me. We become jealous. We can think, oh, that's somebody else's problem, but that's not true, is it? And really, this is us more than we care to admit, right? We struggle with jealousy. We, we struggle with this, and it becomes a bitterness in our soul. We, we, we're jealous of people's salary. We're, we're jealous of people's cars. We're jealous of 
people's look and image or their health. We're, we're jealous. We're even jealous of people's marriages. We're jealous of people's friendships sometimes. We're, we're jealous of people's success. I, I don't know what it looks like for you, but my guess is that every single one of us battles this. Even in the church world, it's strange, but we get jealous. I, I get jealous. I, I look at other churches and I look at their success in reaching people for Jesus. And, and there's like this weird jealousy that goes on inside of me. How crazy is that, that I become jealous of another church's success in following God? It's crazy. And let, the truth is, is that every one of us in some way struggles with this. It's just part of the human experience. But Paul reminds us that love is not that. True love is not jealous. As a matter of fact, there's this verse in the book of 1 Timothy. It says that, that godliness with contentment is of great wealth, is a great wealth to itself. Godliness with contentment, when we learn to realize that God takes care of all of our needs, that's when we find contentment in life. That's it. So he goes on, he says, love is not jealous. But then he says, then he says, love is not boastful and it is not proud. Now that's a whole different issue, right? Or is it? I think we need to talk about it. I am the greatest. Really, I cannot hold any grudge towards him because I would not want to face me either. Because I <laughs> I was going to rip his heart out. I'm the best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. There's no one can stop me. Lynx is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody as ruthless. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from Nairclaw. There's no one that can match me. I feel confident because I'm the best player in the world. In my mind, I'm always the best. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Because every indication has been that you're confident that you can beat Zara. Confident I can whip all of them. This ain't nothing new. My image is being confident. What you're trying to make it look like something new for? I'm always confident I can whip all of them. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm that. Sometimes in life, you just have to push it. Nah, just kidding around a little bit. Seriously, it says, love is not jealous, boastful, or proud. And really, if you think about it, this idea of arrogance or you know being proud or, or being boastful, it's really just the flip side of jealousy because jealousy carries this dark notion that you have become jealous or envious of what somebody else has achieved, their success, their wealth, their prosperity. But really, boastful and proud, it carries this idea that you are becoming dark because what you have achieved, because of your prosperity, because of your success. I love how another translation says it. It says, love does not seek its own. The very idea of being proud, the very idea of being arrogant carries this idea that you are seeking your own, that it's all about you, it's for you, it's of you. The whole deal is you, you, you. And so arrogance, uh, it is the idea of, of that you are proud of what you have become or what you have made. And, and of course being boastful is letting everybody else know what you've done and what you've made and who you've become in this world. 
And if you really want to be honest, when you see somebody who is just glaringly prideful, when they're glaringly arrogant, when they're glaringly boastful, you look at that and you just go, that's not a picture of Jesus. It just, Jesus doesn't look like that. Uh, and so this idea of, of being proud or being boastful, they're, they're not Christian virtues, right? Humility is the Christian virtue. When, when you think of Christ, you think of this, um, this sort of, this sense of he knew who he was, utterly confident in what he was and who he was, um, but, he, but he held it in a meek sort of a way. He held it in a way that when he needed power and authority, he displayed that. But it, he didn't walk around saying it's all for me, for me, about me, about me, about me. He carried himself in this humble sort of way that actually drew people to himself. Uh, I don't know if you remember, there was this famous boxer. His original name was Cassius Clay, but, but later he changed his name to Muhammad Ali, right? Uh, Muhammad Ali was perhaps the greatest boxer of all time, and, and boy, was he a superstar. And, uh, he earned all kinds of nicknames for himself. He, he was called the Golden Glove or the Golden Kid. He was called the, uh, the Louis, Louisville Lip, some people call him, because of the way he trash-talked, right? He could trash-talk like nobody else's business. Um, he, he had all these nicknames, but he gave himself a nickname, which I thought was just, just crazy. He called himself the greatest just the greatest. Like literally he would say, hey, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest ever. I'm the greatest boxer. I'm the greatest person. I'm the greatest man. I'm the toughest. I'm the baddest. I'm the greatest, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest. Uh, you want to talk about pride, right? He was so prideful. He was so arrogant. He boasted so much that other people gave him a nickname and it was that he, they called him the pinnacle of pride. Now just listen to this guy trash talk. Nobody uh, could out trash talk Muhammad Ali. Check out this film. It's pretty cool. Well, Henry Cooper's nothing but a tramp. He's a bum. I'm the world's greatest. He must fall in five rounds, but if you talk about me, I'll cut his three. I'm too fast. Round five. No special training. Just be at the fight. I'm ready to back up everything I'm saying, and I'm through talking. Is this... The man to beat me hasn't been born yet. I predict that this will be Buster's last stand. I will do the Buster what the Indians did to Custer. I'm gonna wipe him out. What's gonna happen when you meet Smokey Joe? And I said, Joe's gonna come out smoking, and I ain't gonna be joking. I'll be pecking and a poking, pouring water on his smoking. Then this might shock and amaze you, but I will destroy Joe Frazier. Quite a character, wasn't he? Muhammad Ali died recently, um, but he was a unique person, right? I think he was unique, but we all carry that same trait. There's something inside of us that wants to let the world know uh, that that we're somebody special, that we're uh, that, that we're unique, that we're uh, that we're successful. I mean, there's just something inside of us that does that. I remember one time I was borrowing this vehicle, and it was probably the most expensive vehicle I'd ever driven in. And uh, just driving down the road, I was driving down Eureka, and it's this really fancy SUV thing, and and I'm I'm driving, and, I, and it's funny. I could feel it welling up inside of me, like, that's right. That's right, I'm driving myself around a $100,000 set of wheels right now. And uh, you can just tell people are looking at you and there's just something inside of you that just says, yep, I'm successful, yep, I'm that good. There just is. Um, 
And when you think about this, this is not a Christ-like trait. This is not who Jesus was. As a matter of fact, I would say that this is a characteristic of Satan, the enemy of God. Uh, you, you may remember there's, in the Old Testament part of the Bible, there is this prophet, a great prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah um, was speaking of the nature of who the enemy of God was. And he was talking about Lucifer. He was talking about the devil, Satan. And, and literally he says uh, that Satan had this moment when he was in heaven where he tells God that he is going to be equal with God or even greater than God. And he has these statements, this series of statements where he says, I will, I will be exalted. I will be lifted to the most high position. I will be above the heavens and the earth. I will be like God. You wanna talk about the epitome of pride. You wanna talk about the epitome of boasting. I will be exalted. The problem is, for you and for me, that creeps into our lives. It does, it, it simply does that. Life is for me and about me. We forget who we are and whose we are. We forget who we serve. We forget who is the creator of heaven and earth. We think that somehow I must be exalted. I must become bigger and better and bigger and better and bigger and better. And friends, that will take you far from the heart of God. You see, because this idea of grace in the Christian faith, it's central to what we believe, that we cannot earn our salvation. We cannot earn God's favor. We cannot earn our own righteousness or rightness. Uh, we're made right with God because of grace. Uh, the truth of, of the gospel, the truth of Christianity says that, that you and I, uh, that we can't achieve all that we want to achieve on our own that we can't be good enough to somehow earn this place called heaven, that we need God's gift toward us. The very nature of salvation is a free gift of God. It pulls the rug of pride. It pulls the rug of arrogance. It pulls the rug of boasting out from underneath of you because we can't boast about it. We can't say it's our deserving or our merit or something that we've earned in this world. The relationship with God is a gracious act from Him to us. He literally reaches into our world and says, I know who you are and I know what you've done. I know all of your ups and all of your down, all of your successes, and, and I know all of your fa uh, failures. And yet I'm gonna show you grace. I'm gonna show you what you do not deserve. I'm gonna give to you what you cannot give to yourself. I'm gonna give you this thing called salvation through grace. Uh, I'm gonna read a passage because Paul, the same writer who says that love is not jealous or boastful or proud, he begins to write about the temptation to boast in yourself, to be prideful about who you are and what you become in this world. Just listen to what Paul has to say. It's an incredible passage about this idea that, that it's not about us and it's not from us. This is what he says. He says, we rely on Christ Jesus and what he has done for us. Listen to this, he says, we put no confidence in human effort. It, although I, I could put confidence in my own effort if anyone could. He says, like, I'm already the man. You have no idea all the things that I've achieved in life. And he had achieved a whole bunch. And he begins to list some of the things that he could boast in. He says, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised at the eighth day. In other words, I was born into a good Jewish family. And then he says, I am a pure-blooded citizenship of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew of all Hebrews. If there was ever one, 
I am that guy. I am a member of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the, were the was, was this ruling class of, of, of Jewish leaders. And he says, I'm a, I'm a ruler, I'm a Pharisee. I've achieved the highest levels of government. Uh, who can demand, uh, who, who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. He goes, I was zealous and harshly persecuted the church. In other words, I believed what I believed so much so that I went against Christians because they were not for us. And I went out to kill them. I went out to persecute them. He said, and as for righteousness, as for getting the, the faith thing right, he goes, I obeyed every single law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable to me, but now I consider them as worthless because what Christ has done for me. You hear that? He says, I had all these things I was so prideful about, all these things that I thought I had gotten so right in my life, but now I consider them worthless to me because Christ has done something different inside of me. This is what he says, he says, uh, yes, everything else is worthless when I compare it to the infinite knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage now so that I could gain Christ. He says, all those things that I had built up in my life, all those things I took pride in, he says, it's just garbage now, it's worthless now, it really doesn't amount to much. And then he says, and then he says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law, Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God made a way for me to be right with himself, and it does not depend on me, it depends on him. And then check this out, in verse 10 he says, I want to know Christ and experience his mighty power within me. He wants to experience God within me. You see, the problem is with so many of us, we think that faith is spelled D-O. It's what you do. It's what you can accomplish. It's how you can impress God. But the Christian faith is not spelled D-O, it's spelled D-O-N-E. It's what Christ has done for you. And friends, when you realize the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, when that somehow affects you and touches your soul deeply, it changes you. It makes you realize it's nothing that you do, it's everything that God has done. So Paul says to you and to me, love is not jealous. It's not boastful or proud. Somehow we've got to get this settled in our soul. That's it? Yeah. That's pretty good, wasn't it? That's sweet, huh? A little bit better than like Greg could have done or, or Chris, maybe? You guys think it was like one of the greatest films ever, maybe? I, I'm thinking it was. I'm not sure you got no, what do you, the What's wrong with you guys? That was sweet. That was I'm awesome. I'm awesome. What are you talking about? Who, who am I kidding? I could never come out here and be as cool as Chris. And that kid comes out with that sweet black beard, those skinny, skinny jeans. This body does not wear skinny anything, if you know what I'm saying, right? But, he, but like Greg, on the other hand, I can beat him. I'm telling you, I'm way cooler than Greg right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you get the idea, right? So Paul comes along and he is starting to redefine what we think of this idea of love. He begins to shape it in a whole new direction for us. He begins to give a new set of eyes to look at it. And, and the truth is, is that my guess is actually, is that we all want to be loving people, all of us. And, but when we hear stuff like this, it's challenging and it's hard. It's, when we start to hear this, we go, I don't know if I'm, I'm doing all that. I don't know if I can become all that. I, I'm not sure if I could even reach any of that for that matter, right? But it is inspiring, 
It's meant to take us somewhere different. It's meant to take us to the next level. When Paul redefines this, he says, this is where we have to go. This is who we have to become. This is the direction of our lives. We've got to do it differently. So let me just read this one more time to you. We've been reading it over again, over and over again today. He says, love is not, and then he says, jealous. Love is not jealous. And then he says, love is not boasting or boastful or proud. And then he adds another word to it. He says, love is not rude. Love, is not, love does not purposely hurt somebody else. I mean, we all hurt people from time to time, accidentally, I'm guessing, right? But love isn't purposefully rude. Love isn't purposely hurting of other people. Love isn't purposefully uh, has this idea that I'm going to put myself up so I can put you down or I can put you down so I can put myself up. He says love is different than those sorts of things. I love how one of the translations of the scripture says it like this. He says love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. And that's hard. Why why is it hard? Because everything in us is self-seeking. Everything. You get out of bed in the morning and you are seeking yourself. Everything. I mean, just you think about, you go through your day, everything is about you. It's about your desires, your pleasure, your goodness, your happiness, your success, your, your credentials. It's about you, you, you. Everything wired in us is opposite of this. And this is why the scripture talks about this new life that we're supposed to have. This new direction that we're supposed to take on this new way of thinking and this new way of being and this new way of doing life. He says, love is not self-seeking. And I think one of the most positive words to describe all of this, what what is the nature of who he wants us to become? I I want us to go deep on this. I want us to think deeply about this for a moment. There's a word that describes all of this. It's a very positive word, at least in Christian circles. Now, it's rarely heard in the, in the, in the world. This, this word that we're going to get around, it's rarely talked about in the outside world. But in the church circle world, we talk about it all the time. And the reason we talk about it all the time is it's a word that describes our Lord Jesus. It describes who he was when he walked among us. It describes the example of what it means to, to love perfectly. And it's this idea of humility, right? It's this idea of being humble of heart. So look at this description that that Paul wrote of Jesus. Now, it's found in the book of Philippians. I just want to read this to you. You don't even have to turn there. It's Philippians chapter 2. But but just take this description of, of who Jesus was. Just take it in. And then he also says, this is how you and I are supposed to treat each other with the same sort of attitude. Listen to what he says. Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five, it says, in your relationships with one another. So pause, he says, the way we're gonna treat each other. We've gotta figure this out. It's not easy, but we gotta figure this out. He says, in the way that you treat each other, he says, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider himself equality with God, something to be used for his own advantage. So he says, listen, though he was God, and he became flesh in the earth. He did not come in like all the bigness of God, all the glory of God, all the greatness of God, all the power of God. He came as a, anybody remember we celebrated at Christmas? He came as a, a baby, the ultimate picture of humility, the ultimate picture of smallness. He said he doesn't come to seek out his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a, what is this word? A servant. 
being made in, the, in human likeness. And he, and he was found in the appearance of man. And listen to this. He what? What is this word? Now, for, for those of us, and I'm not saying everybody in the room is included on this, but for those of us who love Jesus, and I don't know if you do, but if you do, when you read that, I go, Why? Why would you humble yourself in all of your greatness, in all of your glory, in all of your power, in all of your rightness? Why would you do this? I would, I'm learning that this is why I loved him. This is why I love him. Because he was humble. Because that's what draws me to him. Is that he could have done all these other things. But he loved sacrificially. He loved humbly. Doesn't that draw you to him? Come on, doesn't that just make you just want to know him more and love him more? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? That's what it is. And so he says this, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to what? To death, even death on a cross. You see, because when we see love being sacrificial, that's love acting humble, love being full of humility. And that's what Jesus did. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is the name above all other names. Amen. Right? I mean, think about the name of Jesus right now. I don't even, like, again, I'm not sure if you're like a Christian or not, but you don't see people gathered around the world on a weekend experience like this going, hey, let's talk about Caesar Augustus for a while. We don't do that. Why? Caesar Augustus ruled the world. The whole world. And nobody's gathering talking about his name. We talk about the name of Jesus because of this, that he humbled himself and he demonstrated his love in a way that was sacrificial, that literally drew the whole world and it drew a whole bunch of us in this room to him. Because he sacrificed. He displayed humility. And this is really the key to everything that is love. It's his humble heart. Love is Humble. Humility is the key. And being humble, though, doesn't mean that you have no, no, no confidence. Being humble doesn't mean that um, you're weak and people can trample all over you. Because people get that all wrong. You know, like, oh, he's so humble. No, he's a wimp. You know, no, it's different, right? Humble doesn't mean that you're just like an open door for people to walk all over you. Humility just means you know where your confidence comes from. Humility knows, means that you know where your strength is found where your hope is found, where your direction is heading. Humility has a confident spirit in the nature of God. And your hope is found in God. Um, let, let, me, let me say this, that I think one of the biggest reasons that somebody would be jealous or boastful or proud or rude is because their confidence is placed in the wrong thing. Um, they're, they're comparing themselves to other people and they somehow have to leverage this human relationship where I've got to get up on somebody else and so I become jealous or I become proud or become boastful or rude toward them in some way. Let me, let me, let me say it with these words. Um, and you may want to take a little picture of this because I think this is really a lot of truth. That jealousy boasting and pride and rudeness, all those things that the, the Paul was saying, love is not those things, right? All of those things come from insecurity in ourselves. But humility, but a humble love comes from confidence in God. I want you to think about this for a second. Oftentimes I think we're jealous of somebody else because our confidence is not in God. We're looking to what they have. And they're going, well, they're happy. They're, they're, they're getting along just fine in life. And I want that. And if I have that, then I'm going to have 
some sort of happiness. And our confidence is placed in the wrong place. Our trust is placed in the wrong place. You're, you know, and when you start hearing people boast and they're so, like Muhammad Ali, I mean, that guy could trash talk, couldn't he? I mean, unbelievable. Um, I, I, I believe somewhere that a lot of that comes from insecurities. Because if I don't flaunt, you see all these people, they're just bragging about how great they are and all that. I think a lot of that just comes from their in, insecurities. That, that they're thinking, if I don't flaunt how great I am, nobody else will notice how great I am. So I need to tell them how great I am. And then maybe they'll notice how great I am. Right? And it's this whole idea of seeking their own. But let me tell you something, friends. When we find Christ, if you find Christ, if I find Christ, our confidence in God changes everything. It moves us somewhere else. I want you to think about this just for a moment. You compare yourself to God um, versus comparing yourself to men. It changes everything. Um, This idea of comparing ourselves uh, to God. Now listen, compared to Muhammad Ali, I'm nothing. But compared to God, Muhammad Ali is nothing. Maybe y'all didn't get that. Compared to Muhammad Ali, I'm nothing. But compared to God, he's nothing. And it does not matter how big and how bad and how tough and how much you can talk and how much money you have and how much success in this world that you think you have. You are nothing without him. You're just nothing. Um, Listen, listen, friends, it's true that um, he was only breathing because God allowed him to breathe. And he is no longer breathing because God decided that it was time for him to stop breathing. And I don't care who you are and I don't care who I am. God decides the same thing for you. You cannot number your days. You can't add to your days and figure out how long you're going to live, all that kind of thing. That is up to God. And I don't care how big and bad you are. You can't add to your days. So, so why don't you think about this? Compared to God, you and me, all of us collectively, we are nothing. We are nothing. God is smarter than us all. He's more creative than us all. He's more talented than us all. He, he, is, he, he never makes mistakes. He is righteous. He is perfect. Uh, he is everything that we are not. And so when compared to God, you and I have no reason to boast. I mean, you think about how silly this is sometimes. Like, I'm so, man, I just nailed that one. I just nailed that one. And God's looking going, have you taken a look at the mountains lately? You want to talk about nailing it. You want to talk about, have you been to the ocean? Have you, have you seen, when you come up with that, you call me, okay? You call, see how silly this looks when we think that we're all that in a bag of chips? And then we just think of God. And it changes everything. But let me tell you something about God. God is good. And God cares about you. And God cares about your joy. And God cares about your happiness. And so God gives you good things. Not so that you can boast in you, but so that you can boast in him. So that you can, so that you can thank him and bring glory to him. Matter of fact, the scripture says it like this. James, the very brother of Jesus, he once said it like this. This is amazing. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights, right? This means that I can't think of one thing that I can point to me and go, wow, look at me. Oh, look at this church that I have. Look at my friends. Look at my house. Look at my car. Look at me. Look at me. Look at the talents. God says, you, you don't get credit for much of anything. 
You see, when our confidence turns to God, we boast in God. When our hope turns to God, we boast in God. We lean into him for, our, for everything that we have. And it changes the way that we love people. It changes the way that we talk, the way that we walk, the way that we respond, the way that we seek ourselves or don't seek ourselves. It just changes us. And so Paul is encouraging me and you um, not to find our security in ourselves, but to find it in him. Amen? Let's pray. So God, we come before you tonight and uh, just with a humble heart, saying thank you. Saying thank you. I mean, every temptation within us, everything in me, it, it's, it, it, it reeks of me. It, it says that this is from me and because of me. But God, a true analysis or a true comparison of who I am versus who you are, it all comes from you. It all comes from you, God. And I think most of us in this room would like to tell you right now, thank you. We would say to you, God, thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so rich and good toward us. And God, help us to live knowing that our confidence, our hope, our help comes from you. It is not found in the things of this world. It is not found in the things of my flesh or my own ability or my own making. But God, it comes from you. Help us, God, to walk like your son, Jesus. Humble. Humble. Reflecting you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, together we say, Amen. 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 Amen.